You're listening to episode 54. Hey there, Business Generals family. Welcome to another super episode of the Business Generals podcast where I feature amazing guests and I ask in-depth questions about their entrepreneurial journey. You know, my belief is that it doesn't matter how your journey in life started. It's not that important because great or small, the important thing is how you finish. So whatever your situation today, I want you to know that you can get your hopes up, that you are good enough to chase your dreams. In today's show, family, I dig into how it all started for our feature guests, how they have built their brand, and I even get into all the juicy details about their big challenges, their growth moments, and all their big breakthroughs. So it's going to be an amazing show. I actually selfishly started this podcast because I love to hear how entrepreneurs did it and I wanted to ask the questions for myself. So really, I am the number one student. So get ready for amazing coaching tips, family, to help you maximize your business dreams. Welcome and thank you for joining me here on the Business Generals podcast where I chat with amazing entrepreneurs five days a week. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher Radio so that you never miss an episode. It's Davis Mutawa here, your host, and I am super excited to bring you today's feature guest, Mr. Nick Loper. Nick, welcome to the Business Journals Podcast. Davis, thanks for having me, man. Fantastic. Look, I appreciate your time totally because I know you are a busy man. And I actually first run into Nick um, through his podcast called The Side Hustle Show, uh, which is a top-ranked podcast uh, with over 3.6 million downloads since since its launch back in um, May of 2013. And uh, it's an amazing show reaching over 20 to 30,000 people every single week. Nick has done over 247 interviews and uh, he knows how to grow a business. He knows how to grow an audience and he knows how to monetize. And uh, Nick is here with me to chat about how you can amplify your earning power and help you earn job-free income. So I'm really excited for um, this show. I know Nick is an amazing interviewer himself, and uh, he's always been uh, drawing lots of value from all his guests. Nick, I followed a bunch of your podcasts, and I love what you're doing, so I appreciate your time. I wanted you to just start us off just letting us know, um, you know, who is Nick outside of business? Well, let's do it. So outside of business, um, a, uh, a dad and a husband and have always just trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. Like, I think that's the hardest thing and still, I guess, probably still working on it. Um, I was the guy, you know, if, if you go way back, like I was the guy trying to sell, you know, baseball cards and popsicles like at the end of the driveway um, and, it, you know, trying to sell candy at summer camp, like always trying to figure out how to make money. And I think, you know, in those early days was probably approaching it from the wrong angle, right? It was money first and not service first or not, you know, how to be helpful first. And that's kind of been a common theme in like the projects that I've done that have flopped and failed where it's like, oh, this was, I thought this was a cool opportunity versus, okay, you know, how, how can I actually help somebody in this, in this field? So like one of the businesses that I had that was actually first successful was this painting business in college. And it was a legitimate people need their house painted you know one statistically one in ten gets painted every year and it's like how am i gonna go find those you know one in ten well i'm gonna go door to door and go and go get it done and that that was actually kind of like where the entrepreneurial bug really hit me was you know that first taste of working you know for profits and not wages at at a little bit of scale not that you know we had uh, you know not that it was a huge operation but that was pretty pretty eye-opening for uh, for a college student at that time Mm, I love that story. 
I love it when, uh, I don't know if you've, you must have heard the late Jim Rohn and he talks about profits are better than wages, um, which is an amazing philosophy. And uh, you've talked about that. So how long did you say you've actually been making profits rather than wages? How long have you been full-time in business? Full-time since 2008 and on the side since 2004, 2005. Awesome. And so tell me, what are your current core revenue streams? The biggest revenue streams right now on the side hustle side of things, the side hustle nation.com side of things are podcast sponsorships and affiliate revenue. And then outside of that, kind of all under the <laughs> umbrella of various side hustles. Um, so I still have some other affiliate sites that some do better than others, but they, they do. Okay. So that was my main, that was, the, that was the original side hustle that let me quit my job was the a footwear comparison shopping site. I was built on an affiliate model. It would, you know, refer traffic to Zappos, refer traffic to Amazon and earn commission on those sales. Still have some affiliate sites. Don't do the shoe thing anymore, but um, so that's one part of it. There's a self-publishing component of it. You know, a bunch of books on Amazon. Some are about side hustling, some are not. Um, there's a freelancing component of it, which I haven't done a ton of freelancing this year, a little bit of writing. And then in years past, I've done some freelance book editing for other nonfiction authors. There's, you know, some course sales that go into that, uh, on udemy.com there's, you know, selling products on fiverr.com there. You haven't done a ton of it this, this year either, but like there was some Amazon FBA, um, you know, retail arbitrage product flipping and stuff going on. But, and that's why, and that's why Side Hustle Nation suits me because like, it gives me an excuse to go try all this different stuff and then report back on, on what's happening. Whereas if it was anybody else, everyone would just be like, focus, focus, <laughs> do you, do the yeah. one thing. But it's, um, no, it's been a lot of fun. But talking about the one thing, what is the one key focus area for you over the next six to 12 months in terms of um, revenue? The biggest thing has, has been the podcast and really has been for the last year trying to, I mean, it, it started out as this kind of afterthought experiment. People were like, hey, you ought to have a podcast. And I was like, all right, I, I guess I can figure this out. I had no idea what I was doing, but it, it's kind of turned, it's grown several times faster than, than the blog has. And I wish I could tell you exactly why that is. But over the, over the years, it's, it's become my art. It's become my baby. It's become the main, the main focus. Like, yeah, if I get a blog post out this week, if I don't, that's okay. But you know what? The show has to happen every Thursday got to get that done and and on top of that like why do you think that is what's the biggest um reason the podcast has done so well i don't know like that's a tough that's a tough question i think the most overlooked i mean we could talk about you know podcast marketing tactics and and stuff and itunes optimization which i definitely think plays a role probably more on the episode level than than the show level maybe um in terms of episode titles right um trying to come up with a compelling and search engine optimized episode title, but probably the most overlooked podcast marketing tactic is, is just word of mouth. It's like trying to create something that's, you know, too good not to share. And I don't know if I'm there yet, but I think some episodes have gotten people talking and gotten people buzzing. The example I gave you ever listen to um, Smart Passive Income with Paflin? Mm, yeah, of course. So he's, his episode 99, like I still re remember the episode number and he's off to like, you know, probably 300 or something episodes now. But episode 99 was about, you know, this husband and wife who just started, you know, finding 
clearance products and selling those on Amazon. It was the first time I ever heard of this. And they, you know, had quit their job like to do this full time. And I was like, this is nuts. And so I'm emailing this to like all my friends who are super bargain shoppers. I was like, dude, next time you go to the store, you're going to, you're going to be making money. And it, it was too good not to share. So that's kind of what I aim for on the show. Like trying to find, you know, not necessarily the people who've been on every other, every other podcast or, you know, these famous entrepreneur people, but like, what's the story? Well, what's the, you know, what's the lesson that somebody's going to learn? What's the transformation they're going to get start to finish? And, you know, what's in it? What's in it for them? So same thing, you know, starting a new podcast, you know, who's it for? And how do you help them? Who's it for? How can you serve them? So that's what I try and think of when I am constructing each new episode. Unfortunately, it took me probably a year, 50 episodes or something to figure that out. I heard you talk about niching in another podcast interview, which you, you kind of didn't do right at the beginning of your you know, blogging or entrepreneurial journey. Is, has that helped just being very focused on your niche? And who's that for you today? It's possible because there's a million and one entrepreneur interview shows, right? Like there probably didn't need to be another one. And so tackling just the side hustle segment of that, like a subset of the entrepreneurial, um, you know, podcast world may have helped. So I was kind of in the same boat as you when I started. So I had an email list of 11 people and it was all, you know, friends and family. And so I remember going through my Gmail history, my Gmail contacts, and I didn't even know you could export those to Excel at the time. So I just was typing in letters, like, and seeing what would shop up in the, like, um, uh, suggested so early, um, you know, auto populate thing. I just said like a, just like top of the alphabet, like going through, Oh, I haven't emailed Aaron in a while. Let's see what's up with him. And Hey, would you, would you mind downloading the show? If, if I was doing you know, I, my email was horrible. I was like, do me a favor. Can you download this? You don't even have to listen to it, but every download helps me in the algorithm. Like if I was doing it today, you know, I, w- I would do, I, I think the same tactic could work, but I would start it with like, Hey, it's been a while. You know, what's what's new with you? What's new in the life? What are you working on these days? Because it's natural for somebody to reciprocate that back to you. Hey, I'm working on this. Since you ask, what's going on with you? And that, then that's your opportunity to be like, well, since you ask, I've got this new podcast I'm pretty excited about. If you want to check it out, here's the link. And if you really like it, do me a solid, hit the subscribe button, because I think that's probably going to be a better algorithmic signal than, you know, just driving three downloads from a bunch of random people. So if I'm starting out, you know, I do that on Gmail, you know, whatever your email contacts, your Facebook, your Facebook friends, your LinkedIn contacts, these are people who you've had at least some interaction with, like they might have some vested interest in what you're doing. And if you can be clear on what the who the show's for, how does it help them, right? Even if they're not into it, they might know somebody who is it's a way to tap into your your networks network. Now I love that. So um, I haven't actually done that too much. But um, I've been contemplating doing that, you know, like, I've got over four and a half thousand um, followers on LinkedIn and just finding a good way to reach out to them individually. Oh, you're a LinkedIn celebrity. That's a huge, that's a huge, I mean, that's not an email list. Like you wouldn't export that to MailChimp, but like if you can, you know, make it a habit, I'm going to send 10 emails a day, 15 emails a day or shoot, have your VA, you know, work on this little template and you approve it, you know, before it hits in. Like, oh, I mean, that's a, that's a big audience right there. Yeah, I, actually, I should get my VA to do that. That'd be awesome. I've, I'm just jumping into some groups and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, no, that's good value, already dropping value bombs. I love it. I love it. So your journey as an entrepreneur, I just want to step back a little bit. You've talked about going into the you know the shoe, um, the online um, e-commerce business of um, shoe comparison website. How did um, you leave corporate? Was that the first idea that you that really took you out of corporate? That was the vehicle that let me quit my job. Yes, it was three years of nights and weekends trying to trying to build this thing up before I felt comfortable, you know, turning in, turning the keys to the company car and saying, I'm out. 
And how did that come about, the, the idea? The idea came from, actually, it was an internship, but another internship I had in college was with this online shoe retailer in Seattle, which was one of the, they had, they had a brick and mortar shoe store, and they had the wild and crazy idea, well, what if we put some of our inventory online, see what happens? And of course, the online segment of their business, you know, grew 10x faster than, you know, their brick and mortar shop. And so, but that was my first exposure to affiliate marketing, to, you know, pay-per-click advertising, to SEO, to any of that stuff. And so that was really helpful experience. After I left that internship, started as an affiliate of that company, you know, driving traffic through paid ads, through Google, and saying, in Google, you could set your, in AdWords, you could set your budget. And it was like, it was still in college. It was like a dollar a day. And then, you know, okay, now $5 a day. Okay, now 10. And ultimately, you know, at the peak, you're spending $1,000 a day on there. It was fantastic. But it was, you know, kind of a slow ramp up period to do that. And, and ultimately get the site built. So about a year after that, or a little under a year after that, you know, contracted with some people to help build build the website version of that instead of just like direct linking to products, which, you know, was really kind of tedious to maintain. And so, well, if I could have the comparison engine built, like I wouldn't have to constantly be, you know, checking a dozen different sites. Like it would update automatically. And because it was footwear, stuff was always going in and out of season and in and out of stock. And like, there's only a size seven left or there's only a size 15 left so there were some unique challenges in managing the inventory even that you know did show in stock but it was a cool business like i didn't care anything about shoes but it was really cool to kind of build out the processes and and be working for myself cut my own paycheck and how did that translate to what you're doing today if you just um, accelerate that story a bit it was so during, during the time where i was running the shoe business full-time i was very isolated, very heads down, very, you know, everybody said, well, you know, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time. I spent time with my wife and like in our friends here, like nobody else was in the business world at all. It was just like, you know, heads down working on this thing. And the other component of it was, you know, there were a lot of ups and downs in that business. Like it was not smooth sailing. Even on the even my first day of self-employment, Google comes in and they say, your account no longer meets our quality guidelines. Like, what are you talking about? You had two years. You could have said something during that time. Like, I literally just quit my job. And you go through the whole, you know, seven stages of anger and denial. And and they came back three months later and they said, oh, it looks like we made an error. You know, you're good to go. It's like, dude, that was so frustrating. But it kind of goes to show, like, even though I thought the business was relatively diversified because there's 30 or 40 different stores, different advertisers on the site, you know, peel it back one layer. It was like one, you know, overwhelmingly one source of traffic, probably 80% of the traffic was coming from, uh, from Google ads. So that was a, an eye opening lesson in diversification. Right. And so year, years later ended up starting, you probably started half a dozen different side projects on, you know, aside from the shoe business, like, well, that was kind of the main focus. And most of those most of those flopped, but a couple have stuck around. And one of those that's still around is the Side Hustle Nation site. Wow, that's very, very interesting story. How did you know that it was the right time to get out of corporate? Was it just the level of the income that you were getting out of the side project or just you got frustrated and wanted to get out? A couple a couple of things. So part of it was this, you know, a track record of earnings history. And I forget what I wanted to see if it was six or 12 months of, you know, earning enough to cover my expenses I don't think it had fully replaced my salary at that time, but I saw, okay, with an extra 40, 50 hours a week, I, 
I think I can get there, you know, because that was the other component of it. You know, I was working at the bottom rung of a Fortune 500 company. And it's like you could show up today, not show up today. The impact on the bottom line is, you know, they're not going to notice you, right? Whereas I could spend all weekend making ads and I could reap the benefits of that in the shoe business for, for weeks or for months down the road. So, it's, you know, a combination of those two things where it's like, well, I'm not, I'm not in love with this work. I mean, it wasn't the person that hated my job, but I just, you know, was more motivated to be, you know, to be able to see the, the impact of how I was spending my time. You know, we've talked about, I generally ask my guests, you know, how do you acquire your first um, paying clients? And I, I wanted to just bring that into the most relevant of the, the side hustle show. How did you get your first sponsors? Because that's kind of, it sounds like that's your um, biggest um, sort of revenue pillar at the moment or one of the biggest revenue pillars at the moment. How did you get your first sponsors? Yeah, the first sponsors reached out to me last year, last winter. And they said, would you would you consider doing an ad on the show? And I said, of course, <laughs> you know, let me, you know, what did you have in mind? And so we were able to kind of make a deal for that. What I would have done differently, and so I started doing this a little bit before that, was kind of self-sponsoring. So if I had my own products or services, I would sponsor though, you know, would do a, do a little ad read for that kind of thing, or do affiliate sponsors for companies that I liked. So we did an episode on Airbnb, and it was like, hey, if you're new to Airbnb, you can get $25 off your first stay with, you know, with my referral link or something like that. And, you know, did that a handful of times. I probably would have started doing that from day one if I had a little bit more foresight, just because I think it sends a signal to the audience, oh man, they got sponsors on episode one, like this guy must be legit. And it gets people used to hearing it if and when you eventually go down that path. So I wasn't thinking that far in advance (laughs) to really know where the show was going to go. So I'd probably uh, do that a little bit differently. Today, I'm using a service called AdvertiseCast, which is kind of a cool cool marketplace where you can put up your, your show and your listing and you know your stats and different advertisers come on and buy spots. I actually just did a couple deals with those guys. So it's kind of exciting for, for what's going on. And you've talked about word of mouth um, in terms of growing um, the podcast to get it to where you know, you're now getting you know, a bunch of sponsors and helping you progress that as a revenue stream. So how are you growing the business now? And how is that different from you know, what you just shared before when you were emailing your contacts um, at the beginning? So what's growing the business now is probably, the, you know, so I think the podcast is probably like the leading indicator and then revenue would be the lagging indicator because it's not always, you know, one-to-one. Like, I mean, the podcast is free to download. Like, you're not going to make money from that person today. I mean, you're probably not going to make money until you serve them in some way. Although the advertising is not directly related to that. It's kind of related to the raw numbers that you can that you can show to the to the sponsor. But I guess, I guess trying to work people up the, the listener pyramid of, you know, from subscriber, from strangers to listeners to subscribers to fans. And, you know, so we talked a little bit about kind of the discoverability and iTunes and Pinterest and social media and SEO, right? So that's kind of addressing the, the strangers part of the equation. And once you get somebody to, sub, uh, to listen, it's like, how do you get that person to subscribe? Like, how do you get them, you know, coming back to want more? First is the content, right? Like, dude, what else you got? Like, this is awesome. Um, the second thing has been content upgrades or episode-specific opt-in offers. So I started this a little over a year deep into the show, which at that time had an email list of probably close to a thousand, but within three months, it was 3,000. Within six months, it was 6,000. That was really the inflection point uh, for the show. 
And instead of saying, hey, look, you don't have to take notes. We did it for you. You can go over here and, you know, grab the PDF version. You can read it at your leisure. And then, you know, years, probably a couple of years later, one of my email subscribers was like, dude, why do I have to opt in for this? Like every week, why don't you just send it in your newsletter? And so I was like, oh, that's super smart. And so now, you know, include that in the newsletter every week, you know, the latest, hey, and if you're short on time, here's the highlight reel, or you know, here's the PDF version of it. And, you know, I get emails almost every week. Hey, thank you so much for including those. And so if you're, if you're going through the trouble of creating them anyways, it's, you know, really easy. It was, it just took some time to, for me to write initially, and then to, you know, build a process where somebody else can write them and I'll kind of finalize the editing and installation. Okay. Now, just on that note, um, this is a strategy that I have learned from Nick. Uh, and, um, it took me a little while to, to get it up and running and to teach my VA how to do it. But I'm glad to say that, you know, if you, um, at the end of this show, you can go to businessgenerals.com forward slash Nick L N I C K L and you can download the show highlight reel, which means you don't have to take notes. So, and, um, I love that because, um, we're putting in a lot of effort to make sure that that's a good document for you to use as a PDF download. Yeah. And it's working real. So thank you so much for, for that, for those tips, Nick. Um, on one of your shows, I got that and I thought I must, I must do that. You ever play around with the lead digits? No. I don't, I think they offer it here in, I'm based here in Australia. I think they offer it, but, um, I haven't actually used it yet. Um, but I just fo- focused on the, I don't even use the lead box to be honest. I just use the link. Oh, okay. Mm. So I'll need to, need to pick your brain about that a bit more. I always thought, I mean, I always thought it was so cool, but then, yeah, it's like a worldwide audience and you know, the number they give you only works in the States or it's like, a, I don't know. It's a, so what we're talking about is like a service where you can text, you know, a certain word, you could text, you know, Nick Loper to whatever this, you know, number is, and it like sends you the file or like text to, you know, your email or something like It's super cool because especially most people are listening on their phones anyways, but I'm just curious if you played around with that at all. No, but I heard you say that most of your downloads come from people actually jumping onto the browser and doing that. Is that still still the case? I think so. I don't have really good analytics because now you can include links in your, you know, rich show notes in iTunes and stuff like that. And so maybe some of the clicks come through there, but imagine most people are coming to the website which is good i mean i had one person on linkedin say oh i don't want to go and put in my email address um because it's just gonna i don't know i can't remember what their comment was and i messaged them i said dude i can email it to you if you really want it <laughs> without giving me you know i can in- inbox it to you or whatever in-, in on linkedin so so i guess you do get some some of those random people but you know there was one show that i was listening to i can't remember the lady's name i think she does something coaching masala or something like that and uh yeah, that's the first, that was one of the first good ones um, that I, I said, I must download this one. And then that's when I actually saw how your, your, your thing works. And I was like, this is really cool. It's different from short, from actual transcripts because the transcript kind of goes through every single word, um, which is good for some, for some things. Yeah. That was the hook. That's where I got you. That was with Nagina uh, Abdullah from masalabody.com. A crazy weight loss coaching story. You know, just going, going straight to the very top of the market. Hey, those last five or 10 pounds, that could be worth several thousand dollars to the right client. It's like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> now, once they're on your list, what do you do next in your revenue model? Have you built any any other streams that are coming out of once people are on your list? And I, I know this this is we're focusing it on you know like a podcasting list, but it could work on any list. And I'm sure it's it's done so for you on your blogging side and on your other other lists. So right now, I'm, this is 
this is brand new as of like a month ago. I'm really excited to have built out a, several, probably eight or 10 different welcome sequences based on what people opted in for. So Davis, if you, if you signed up back in January, you probably didn't see this, but what happens now is like, if you opt in for something related to blogging, you're getting a welcome sequence, an onboarding sequence that's specifically related to blogging. It asks you, hey, you know, what's your site all about? You know, how are you driving traffic? Here are my favorite plugins. Here are the five posts that every site ought to have. Here are some ways to drive traffic. Versus before, everybody was kind of dumped into the same generic autoresponder sequence. And it was probably not, you know, because you had to go to the lowest common denominator, not knowing what people were necessarily working on. It I don't think it did a great job of, of serving the audience or being very engaging. So um, I'm already seeing more replies to those messages. And so I'm kind of excited to see how that plays out. Those are not particularly monetized right now. There's, there's some links in that sequ- in those sequences to posts on the site that are monetized, but there's not a well-orchestrated product funnel at the end of those, not mainly because I don't have a, you know, a flagship course on follow follow my seven steps to side hustle success or anything like that yet and is that deliberate i thought you had something like that before and you were doing like um master classes and stuff like that so the first way that side hustle nation was monetized was with a private mastermind but those have been on hold so we had a we had a son last winter and so we were kind of wrapped up the the mastermind session that was going on. And then I was like, I'm going to take a little break from hosting these and haven't picked those back up yet. And I'm trying to, trying to rethink what, you know, the structure of that. So how can it be more impactful for, for members and participants? When, when you have a good group and people are really firing on all cylinders and they're, you know, getting their goals done, like that's really exciting. That's like really fun to be a part of every week. But then sometimes... Other times you have some attendance issues or people not doing what they're saying, and it's kind of draining. So I was like, ah, I don't know. And so with a, with a newborn, that extra hour in the evening became harder to, harder to part with. <laughs> Interesting. The other podcasters have gone out and done physical products and other, other you know, affiliate types of um, projects and webinars and things like that. Is this a path that you've tested and can you share what you've found? A little bit. And so that's, that's one, another reason I'm excited about the new email provider is because I'll be able to do some more advanced segmentation and saying, Hey, you opted in for something related to e-commerce. Like we've got, you know, we've got a webinar coming up that's specifically about e-commerce or, you know, how to grow your Amazon business, something like that. And you could exclude all those people who said, Hey, I want to talk about blogging or I want to talk about freelancing. Hey, that might not be relevant to you. And so my theory is that that'll make for a better experience for everyone, but you never know. So <laughs> we're trying that out. Um, I do a handful of joint venture stuff every year, probably you know two or three uh, webinars. I actually just did one on self-publishing this past uh, weekend or this past week, and it converted okay. I think the material was okay, and I, you know, I'm a fan of self-publishing myself. It's just, I don't know, was hoping for a little bit better results out of that. Very interesting. That's good. I mean, I, I wanted to touch also on affiliate marketing. You've um, done quite a bit of affiliate marketing in your days. Um, where do you see that for bloggers and for online marketers today? Well, this is exciting because you don't have to create the product. It's probably one of the fastest ways to get started because you know somebody else is probably serving this audience. And if you can, you know, if you, especially if you can honestly recommend it, like, hey, this is something that I use as a product that I use, it's a service that I trust, and you ought to check it out. So, I mean, you'll find it for, and try to work it into all 
the content on the site. You know, if it's um, like I recently did a post on the redesign of the website and it was like, here's the theme that I used, affiliate link. Here's the, you know, ser- the you know, IT service that I used to help, you know, customize it, you know, affiliate link. Here's the, you know, software that I was able to do 99% of it myself, you know, affiliate link. And so it's like kind of baked in to the content or, you know, even on the podcast show notes, it's like, hey, here's the book that this guy recommended. Here's, um, you know, whatever, here's the software tool that he recommended. And so there's, there's stuff like that without being, you know, beating people over the head with it. And that's why I try and, you know, only do it a couple times a year in terms of like, you know, the full all hands on deck kind of uh, webinar launch type of deal. I'm trying to think what else. Now, there, there is an example of blatant affiliate play. It's actually done really well for me. And it's this monster list of Udemy courses. Like, hey, here are the 134 top Udemy courses for entrepreneurs and side hustlers. And it took weeks and to compile and edit and format this whole post. But that's that's ended up doing really well because every time there's a Udemy sale, and so they pay 40, 50% commission. And so it's, you know, that, that one's done really well. And it's a blatant affiliate. I mean, it's just pages and pages of affiliate links on that on that post. But in, in the comments, people are thanking me. They're like, dude, thank you for putting this together. Like I signed up for five courses, you know, this is going to be awesome. And so that was kind of a really rewarding to see like, yeah, you can do, you can still provide helpful content and, and make money from it too. And are you marketing that kind of stuff to your list or can somebody who doesn't have a list still be able to make some income from that? Do you think? So I kickstarted that one with an email, but I also reached out to all the instructors that were featured say, Hey, I featured you in this list. And most of them, you know, bless, bless their hearts, shared it on their social media channels. I think one or two people wrote me back like, dude, why am I going to share your affiliate post? Like, hey, fair enough. You know, I got 128 other people to reach out to like, it's fine. And then it also ends up ranking in Google for, you know, best Udemy courses type, you know, types of searches like those. So it kind of picks up uh, traffic on a residual basis. And I think there's a pin on Pinterest that goes to it as well. So if people are searching for that type of stuff on Pinterest, there's another opportunity to discover it. Right. Can you tell me from, from a perspective of somebody who's never heard of this kind of stuff and thinking, you know, what kind of revenue can you generate from something like that, you know, over, over the life of it or over a month or how, how can you help us get some details on um, what to expect from something like that. So that post is probably made over 30 grand in a year and a half. It probably did six or seven grand in the first month. And then, you know, didn't really do much with it. The remainder of 2016, 2017 have been much more regular about updating it with like the latest offers. And so relaunched it in January, probably did 11 or 12 grand that month. And it's just, you know, continued to perform pretty well. So that's definitely the, <laughs> that's the best, uh, my best money-making blog post I've ever written by, probably by far. That's, that's huge. I mean, I'm, I'm actually surprised. <laughs> um, Nick, let me switch gears a little bit. Fear of failure holds a lot of people from entrepreneurship because, you know, you've been in my situation before and a lot of other people who've been working, working for somebody, working for a nice corporation, working for, you know, in a nice career and making good income. And, um, or maybe not even that, maybe just, you know, you've got, I remember somebody came to fix my, um, service of washing machine in our house and I was saying to him, you know, why don't you try to grow the business or do something, you know, to do this and the other. And he was like, nah, I'm just, I've had enough. I've done 20 years of this. All I want is to, to shut it down and, you know, just get a normal, a normal job. So diff- different, <laughs> different levels of, of experience and different spheres. But why do you think this is an issue? And, um, 
Can you walk me through how you stepped away from your corporate role without you know being paralyzed by that fear? Well, first was building something up that had a little bit of a of a track record, so it wasn't you know taking that leap into the unknown and. You've probably heard the, the definition, oh, an entrepreneur is somebody who jumps off the cliff and figures out how to build his parachute on the way down. Like, that's not me. Like, I, you know, very risk averse. And so I like to start projects on a very small scale and sometimes very privately. So it's like, if it never takes off, like nobody else has to know about it. And that's why, that's why doing the podcast was a big, big step out of my comfort zone. Because it's like, well, now this is this is out there. Even like I, I did a uh, a TEDx talk a couple years ago, and that was the hardest thing in the world to rehearse in front of friends and family and people who knew. Because it's like, oh, you're never that serious in real life. And now he's like, well, this is your these are like well, your actual thoughts. Like you're trying to like argue this point, and like, it's, it's a weird a weird feeling. The fear of failure stuff you know, can be paralyzing. And I don't want to diminish that, but you kind of have to look at, well, what's your worst case scenario? And for a lot of people, we over-exaggerate what that worst case scenario is. Like, I'm going to be homeless and I'm going to, you know, lose everything. It's like, like, no, you set it up in a way where you take, you make small bets, you make small improvements and you make it so your worst case scenario is you know, not that bad, or you you have, to, you have to go get another job, or you maybe you have to go crash on mom's basement for for a little while. But it's like, you know, you probably it's probably not life threatening. Is is where I, where I want to go. Like my wife had a coworker who said the same thing because he was going off to do like go make electric bikes or something, and everybody at work is like a very conservative, like engineering, like very analytical group of people, and they're like, well, what happens? And he's like, I've got a master's degree in engineering, like. If it fails, I'll go get another job. Yeah. <laughs> okay, fair enough. You know, so if you built up a little bit of runway, you can always go get another job. Yeah, which is interesting because sometimes you feel like it's going to just be the absolute end of the world. But talking about failures and, you know, worse, worse scenarios, what, what over the last 12 months or 18 months, what, what would you say has been the worst sort of moment in, in the side hustle project? The worst moment. I don't think it's been going well in the side hustle world. Let me try and think think of what's been going not so well. The so shutting down the mastermind group or like just awkwardly not starting over because I've had like a dozen applications and it's just like, um, I'll let you know when we start and just like, you know, kind of bailing. I feel like I've kind of bailed on those people. Does it just play at the back of your mind saying, why aren't you starting it? Why aren't you starting it? Yeah, although now it's been probably twelve months and they're like, uh oh, not holding my breath for this guy anymore. Some of that I did a program a couple years ago, uh, it was like a 30-day side hustle challenge. And the feedback from the participants was all positive. But on the same time, like people weren't seeing results from it immediately or within within 30 days. And so it was like, was that unrealistic of a time frame? Or was there something in the structure of this material that just didn't just didn't get people results? And so I kind of tabled that as well to kind of like retool and rethink, okay, well, what can I, what can I do to make that more impactful? But I'm trying to think of other flops. I've had episodes that flopped. I've had emails that flopped. Like, oh, that got a horrible open rate. Like, what was wrong with me? Um, <laughs> you, you never know. You never know until you put it out there and just you get another chance next week. Mm, that's good. I like that. Another chance next week. <laughs> um, in terms of philosophy and how you approach your life, how do you rank the following? Um, faith, fun, family, finances, and friendships. Sorry, what was the last one? Friendships. Probably family first at this point. So we got that 18-month-old who pretty much runs our runs our life these days 
fun friendships, those kind of fall into the same bucket. And then faith would be last for me. Um, give us a quick look into what a day looks like for you today versus how it looked like maybe when you just started the San Hustle. Well, we're chatting on Tuesday, Tuesday in the U.S., Wednesday, your time. Uh, Tuesday is meeting day for me. So earlier this year, I started the theme day project, which I picked up from uh, Mike Vardy, productivityist.com. So Tuesday is, is the theme. The theme of Tuesday is meetings from basically eight to five. So it's a busy, uh, busy day of doing recordings and, and calls like this and other meetings, you know, meetings with sponsors, meetings with, you know, whoever potential guests and stuff like that. Monday I've set aside as content creation day for side hustle nation, like editing this week's show or next week's show, trying to build, trying to get to the point where it's like, I could be editing the show for like three or four weeks out and, you know, have a little bit more of a breathing room buffer in there and then writing content for the site. Wednesday is, you know, working on the various side hustle projects, um, you know, some of the other websites that I have and some administrative stuff that goes along with that. And then Thursday is dedicated, you know, I've got a mastermind call in the morning and then try and do the weekly newsletter after that. But then the rest of Thursday, theoretically, is set aside for you know, growth projects. And so for a long time, or for most of this year, that's been doing the email migration, doing the website redesign, um, and you know, taking courses and trying to learn and, and do stuff on you know, how to grow the business on, on that side of thing. So those are kind of like how the days are set up inside of the day. I normally would start the day on my treadmill desk, but the treadmill broke last week. So I've been doing more sitting than, than normal lately. So I should at least go up there and use it as a standing desk, but I've been, I've been lazy. Um, so what your email um, system, what, are you, what have you switched to? So I switched from AWeber to ActiveCampaign. And I'm not like fully in love with it yet. I think it's like, you know, you're still learning a new interface and trying to figure out how to do certain things. One of the most important features for me was a geotagging feature. So it's like based on somebody's IP address, it's going to estimate where they, where they are in the world. So we've used this to host meetups all across the country and even, you know, meet with people in Japan. Like we were in Japan last year and had, was able to have a, a, you know, five or six people show up to a little meetup at the, <laughs> at the Shake Shack in Tokyo. It was awesome. And, and that's really been probably the most unexpected benefit of hosting the podcast is this worldwide network of, of listeners and friends and, you know, being able to basically meet up with somebody almost everywhere we go. It's been really exciting, really rewarding. That's, that's incredible. Talk to me about books. You've written some books, um, but what uh, would you say are their best great reads for entrepreneurs? Maybe two great reads and just share a little bit about your books and where we can find your books. The best one for side hustlers is probably Buy Buttons call, um, at buybuttonsbook.com. It's about how to tap into these pre-existing marketplaces to uh, set up your side hustle or to grow your business, where basically you say, hey, you go where the cash is already flowing. Like, don't try and stand out in the desert with your sign on this deserted highway. Instead, go to Amazon, go to eBay, go to Udemy, go to Uber. Even like, go to where these you know these platforms have already built uh, an audience of buyers and set up shop there. Okay, that's great. So buybuttons.com, yeah. Uh, buybuttonsbook.com. Buybuttonsbook.com. Um, best way for people to connect with you, Nick. Tune into the Side Hustle Show. I'd love to have you tune, uh, tune in, check it out. SideHustleNation.com is the uh, best place to find the show and a bunch of other <laughs> Side Hustle-related goodies if you're, uh, if you're looking to escape corporate or even just make a little extra money on the side. 
Yeah, I love the show. I always um, jump on there to listen to all the interesting guests that you bring. And I love the fact that, you, like you said before, you're not just basically just trying to get um, all the kind of big, big entrepreneurs out there who um, who are all already known, but you're looking for interesting stories. Like um, very recently, I heard um, a lady who's just teaching how to make sourdough bread, and she's making almost uh, $5,000 every single month. And I thought that was a that was great, great story. So keep doing that. <laughs> that was nuts. <laughs> I, was, I was like, are yeah. you worried about running out of recipes? And she's like, are you kidding me, honey? You could be, I could go, you know. I was like, okay. Matt, I was like, like, I don't know anything about baking. You could run out of recipes here. All right. So, so, so run that URL past me again, sidehustlesocial.com, is it? Sidehustlenation.com is the, is the home base for all, uh, all this stuff. Awesome. And we're going to link this up in the show notes and um, we're going to put it up all in the um, show highlight reel that you can download at businessjournals.com forward slash Nick L N I C K L Nick, before I ask my last question, I just want to thank you for, you know, persevering throughout the, you know, four years, at least re- relating to the side hustle show, which has led to us connecting and, and all the people that you're impacting through that show. And even all the years before that, where you were persevering through all of it, and now you're teaching and now you're providing a platform for other entrepreneurs and other people who might be stuck feeling like they've got nowhere else to turn, but at least they can turn on their, their iPhones or their, their Androids and listen to, to you interviewing somebody and sharing someone's story that would encourage them and give them hope again, that they're good enough to chase their dreams. So I appreciate you for doing that. For my last question, I just wanted to ask you, when all is said and done, do you think about legacy and uh, what legacy would you love to leave and tell us why? Thank you for that. Um, I haven't thought much about legacy, but now with uh, with the son thinking more about it, you know, he's still a few years away of being, you know, to the point of asking like, well, what is what does daddy do for work? <laughs> and I'm trying to trying to explain that because I still have a hard time explaining that to adults. So like, well, how does this all work? But you, that's a, that's a whole new pressure of <laughs> trying to figure out what you know. What, what do you teach this kid? He's a sponge right now. You know, he picks up everything, and you know, trying trying to set a good example um, for work and work ethic and and being of service to people and, and doing business ethically. But it's uh, it's a challenge to see what's coming down the road and keep it busy and not be, you know, and be present with him and not trying to be on your phone checking, you know, the Facebook group or checking email and stuff like that. So definitely something I'm working on. And hopefully, hopefully that will be my legacy. He can, you know, do something, do something good in the world and and outlive me for sure. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, It's a very personal thing. And I know we've got a five-year-old daughter and uh, it's something you want to really make sure you're passing on the right information, passing on the right comments about money, about abundance and about all these different things and through our actions as well. Um, But appreciate your time. And that brings us to the end of the show. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you for hanging out with me and Nick Loper today. I hope you had a lot of fun on this show. And I know he's he's brought a lot of value. We're going to put it all up in our um, show highlight reel for you to check out businessjournals.com forward slash Nick L. And um, if you can't remember that, just type in Nick in the search bar and all the show notes will come up with everything we have chatted about today. And to connect with Nick, you can check him out at sidehustlenation.com. Nick, thank you so much for being on the Business Generous Podcast today and for sharing your story with us. For that, we're absolutely grateful. You are a true business general. Hey, what's up, Business Generous family? Thank you for joining me and for listening to the Business Generous Podcast. Connect with me at Davis Mutabwa, that's D-A-V-I-S-M-U-T-A-B-W-A. 
Connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn. And you can certainly find me at our podcast blog, businessjournals.com. And while you're there, remember to access all the show notes, a ton of free resources, killer training, and so much more. Love you guys. Thank you for joining me. Ciao.